Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to CoastalOaksChurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're working our way through this preparation for the Christmas season. Last week we looked at the affirmation that Jesus is God in the flesh. Today we're going to look at the announcement where God announces to Mary and Joseph that he's sending the Son. Next week we'll look at the arrival, the birth in the manger, and then the last week we'll look at the afterglow, what happens as we rejoice to celebrating uh, after Christmas. The announcement today, a divine interruption. God has a way of interrupting our lives, our plans, our purposes with what he wants to do. So let's look at how God did that in Luke chapter 1 in the life of Mary. Verse 26, if you follow along. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting could this be? The angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one, the Holy One to be born, will be called the Son of God. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 1. That's the angel's announcement to Mary. And let's look at where the angel has a a word for Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Mary, this young teenage girl, with her plans, her life is interrupted. Joseph, who's engaged to her, a young teenage man, 
is interrupted by the power and the presence of God and God's plan. This period of about a year, this engagement is different than our culture. But in that culture, they were seen as married, but they didn't come together physically. It was like a, a period of testing to test the purity of the couple. So they came together and they were, they were seen as married in one sense, but more or less engaged as we would see it in our culture today. And as Joseph gets the, gets the word that Mary's pregnant, he's disturbed. The angel explains that to him just as the angel explained it to Mary. What we want to look at today is how God has a way of interrupting our plans and our purposes. I was thinking about a way to just describe what had happened in Mary and Joseph's life. And I just would simply think to say God rocked their world. In a good way and in a not so good way from their perspective. God literally moved in and shook things up in the life of Joseph and Mary. So we're going to look at three uh, truths from this passage. And these three truths just go together very very. Uh, uh, they, they just gel together, and then we'll look at some application. So number one, when God interrupts our plans and expectations, he has far greater things in mind for us. Looking at Joseph, looking at Mary, we see that when God interrupts our plans and our expectations, he has far greater things in mind for us. I don't know what Joseph's plan was, maybe to have the best carpenter shop in Nazareth, maybe to, to build a business there. Mary's plans probably just to quietly marry him. It may have been an arranged marriage. We're not sure. And just for that couple to live a, a simple life and raise a family. Maybe she just wanted to be a simple housewife. And God steps in and God interrupts their plans and changes things. And when God does that, he has far greater things in mind for us than we could ever imagine. This young couple, this godly young couple met by angels who announced this incredible thing that God is going to do in them and through them. God interrupting our plans. God interrupting our expectations. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who uh, taught much on discipleship, and he was one who opposed the, the Nazis through Germany and struggled with the Lutheran church to try to have them to be a, a good, sound, solid, uh, biblical church. Uh, Hitler ended up putting him in prison and executing him. He wrote a lot about discipleship. And in training some of his young pastors, I want you to listen to what Bonhoeffer said to them and make application to us. He said, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will co be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans. Think about that. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans. Sending us people with claims and petitions. He goes on to say, it's a strange fact that Christians and even ministers frequently consider their work so important and urgent that they will allow nothing to disturb them. They think they are doing God a service in this, but actually they are disdaining God's crooked yet straight path. Guys, paraphrase what Bonhoeffer says. Even when we're serving the Lord, even when we think we're on a, on a, on a plan that's going to bring God honor and glory, if we're not sensitive to the Spirit of God and He tries to cross our path and interrupt us, we miss His plan and purpose for us. We end up just doing busy work for Him instead of being used by Him. God wants to get in there and shake up our plans because He has something great in mind for us. I think of, as I went through this study this week, I thought about another Joseph in the Bible, the Joseph of the Old Testament. Remember Joseph's story? He had this dream that his brothers were going to bow down to him. And I'm sure Joseph thought, cool dream. I'll tell my brothers about this because God's just going to, I'm going to be on the fast track to success. I mean, he probably had in mind, how's God going to do this? And, and what's it going to look like? Maybe he'll grow up and be educated. And he'll just have a smooth life until he's the king of everybody. Well, God had different things in mind, didn't he? You know the story, Joseph, his brothers so opposed him 
that they started to kill him, but then they ultimately sold him into slavery. He ended up going to Egypt from his, from his, from his homeland, carried away on a caravan. Then he was falsely accused. He ended, in prison, ended up in prison. All of that took place. Years went by until Joseph finally, by interpreting dreams, was given a place of authority in Egypt. Then his brothers bowed down. Then the world bowed down. But I tell you what, when Joseph thought about, everybody's going to bow down to me, he probably didn't think it was going to take that crooked path. Do we think the same way? Oh, God bless us. Oh, God, do a great work. Oh, God, change our church. Oh, God, grow us. And we, we want that. And we have in mind what, the way God's going to do it. God often has different plans for us. Far greater than our plans. Well, this goes with it, but it's stated a different way. Number two, because of what we see with Mary and Joseph, we can trust God even in the face of unexpected insecurities and uncertainties of life. We can trust God even in the face of unexpected insecurities and uncertainties. Unexpected is an important word, but trust is a more important word. God knows what He's doing. Joseph and Mary, godly young people, for God to entrust Mary with what He did, for God to trust Joseph and trust Joseph with what He did, and for the two of them to trust God is amazing. That, that Joseph would have this, this sense to, to privately divorce her so that he could keep a scandal from happening, to try to protect her purity. And, and for, for him to walk with God, I love it. When, when God spoke to both of them, they immediately got up and did what God told them to do when he spoke to them through the angel. They trusted him in spite of that unexpected derailing, that unexpected uh, insecurity and uncertainty of life. We're going to look at it next week, the, the, the uncertainty and the insecurity of a manger. I, I don't know, Mary and Joseph probably had in mind, okay, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is going to be someone we're going to raise, so what palace are we going to be in? Are we going to be able to have everything covered? Are we going to be, be met with, with, uh, with royalty? No, it was a manger, a stable, animals, dirty, and then a threat of an attack from Herod. We have to trust God in those times when He does shake our world and things are insecure. Because even if it's unexpected and uncertain, God is still God. He's still faithful. I've always been taught that God is my anchor. He's my rock. And I've had this, this image, right or wrong, probably not too right, but anyway, I had this image that if I trust God, and I did as a, as a young man, if I trust God, Christ will be my anchor in the storm. So I have this picture of, of a... Of a of a, a storm coming on and I've got my anchor and I'm, hold, I'm, I'm anchored to the rock during the storm. And I, I'm anchored, and in my mind, I was anchored to, to earth. No matter how it shakes, I'm anchored here. And then the thought occurred to me that my anchor is not in this earth. My anchor's in heaven. That, that's where my hope is. The earth is going to shake, right? There's going to be insecurity, my daughter was in Nepal this last year when the earthquake hit, and, and all of those racers, those world racers, the missionaries were with her. They all wrote in their journal about no matter how much the earth shakes and they experience it, God is faithful. He's our sound refuge. He's the one we're secure in. He's our rock. No matter how difficult it is, we can trust Him. Joseph, Mary, all that they went through. There's a whole other sermon here about thinking about how they may have been perceived by their families how they may have been perceived in the village, 
the rumors, the gossip that all happened because they were being faithful to what God had called them to do. We can trust God in the face of those unexpected insecurities. I shared a video a few years ago by a missionary to Poland, Lydia Stevenson. She and her husband had served there about three years. Uh, came time after about three years, their middle daughter started having uh, health issues and, and ended up having severe seizures. Said it was so bad that they had to leave Poland and go to Budapest to have some specialists look at her and, and see what was going on. And they diagnosed what had happened and they went back to Poland to their Bible study group. And Lydia says her Bible study group was all unbelievers, people that they that they brought in from the culture that they were trying to lead to Christ, all unbelievers. And the Bible study people, the, the, the unbelievers said, when are you leaving? And she said, we're not leaving. And said, when are you going home now that your daughter's sick? I know you came to, to tell us about Jesus, but when are you going home now that your daughter's sick? And they said, we're not. Lydia said there was a, it was a defining moment in our ministry there. She told them, we're not going anywhere. God called us here. He knows our, tomorrow, our todays, and He knows our tomorrows. And until God calls us away, we're here. And she said in the ministry, that was a defining moment because they begin to, to hear from those, those unbelievers. And one lady told her, said, I've, I've heard about Christ all my life, but I've never seen it lived out like you're living it out right now. What she was doing was in spite of the uncertainty of her world being shaken by her daughter's health, they were going to stay steadfast to the call of God in their life. You can trust Him, folks. We can trust Him. Number three. God uses interruptions. God uses interruptions to do things far beyond what we ever dreamed. Far beyond what we've ever dreamed. We don't know what God's up to. Joseph and Mary really didn't know everything God was up to. They got the word of the prophecy being fulfilled that this was going to be the Son of God, but they didn't know all the details. Jim Elliot said, God always gives best, his best to those who leave the choice with him. God wants to use the interruptions of your life to do some things in your life you could never dream of. Many of you have heard my personal testimony, my story. I grew up in El Paso, Texas. I loved it out there. I had no desire to leave West Texas. Uh, it's my favorite place in the whole world. All my friends were graduating from high school and going away to colleges everywhere else. Everywhere else. They didn't want to stay. They could hardly wait to get out. I, I said, I don't care. I love it here. So I got a job, dropped out of school, got a job, and I was working. I got a phone call one day. The man in Houston, who we'd done business with in, the, in our business there, he said, Kevin, he said, I want to offer you a job. And I said, no, thank you. I've been to Houston. That was my answer to him. I'd been there before. It was in the 70s. It was a boom town. It was wild and crazy, and I, had, I did not want to go. I was happy where I was. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll go talk to my parents. So I went to my parents' house, and I said, I was about 20 years old. I said, I've got this job offer to go to Houston. I'm sure, and I just knew they were going to say, oh, that's far away. Uh, that's a long way. You know it takes as long to drive from El Paso to Houston as it does from El Paso to L.A.? Same distance. So uh, they're think, I, I know they're going to say, that's too far away. We want you to stay here in El Paso, meet a nice girl, get married, have babies, and we'll have the grandkids close by. And I'm, I'm thinking all this. You know what my parents said? They said, go for it. Like, here's your hat, what's your hurry, you know? Um, <laughs> So I reluctantly, because I wanted to be a man, I reluctantly left my security and my comfort zone and loaded my stuff up in a U-Haul and headed to Houston. And God intervened on the way and staying in a hotel on the way. Somebody broke into my car, stole, took, stole the two most priceless things I had, my stereo and my television. 
Okay, this is 1970-something, so there was no internet. That was it. And so I ended up in Houston, Texas with this job. I really didn't like at the time, away from any friends and family I had. And all I had to do was read my Bible and cry out to God. Worst time of my life. I can remember praying every day, God, get me out of this place. Get me out of this place. I, I hate it here. And God started working in my heart. And I got this impression from God one day. I can, it's like it was yesterday, driving home from, from work one day. And just God impressed Kevin, if this is where I want you, are you willing to stay here? And I said, yes. Through that decision, God stirred my heart, brought some people into my life to disciple me. I was discipled. Um, called me into the ministry. Introduced me to Kelly. I Actually, her family introduced us, but anyway, God was in that, I'm pretty sure. All of those things that were so great in my life happened in, a, in, a, in an unexpected, uncertainty, insecure interruption. And I look back now and, and I say, thank you, God, for shaking my world. Because all that I could have never dreamed for myself is being fulfilled in my life now. People have asked me, uh, have you always wanted to be a pastor? No. I don't have to think about it. No. The answer is no. This is not what I envisioned for my life at all. At all. I just wanted simple, simple, stay where I was. Don't get out of my comfort zone. That's all I wanted. God had different things in mind. Now, the moral of this story is not God's going to call you into the ministry to be a preacher. The moral of this story is when God shakes your world, you can trust Him. He's got things going that you would never have dreamed. So now let's look at application. Go ready for some application. Number four, when interruptions come. Notice it didn't say if. When. When the interruptions come. When your schedule and your agenda and your plans and your purposes don't get fulfilled the way you think. When interruptions come, number one, stop resisting. Stop resisting. Don't fight it. One of the things that they teach lifeguards that one of the most dangerous things about rescuing someone is not the water, it's the someone you're rescuing. Because they are panicking and they're flailing. And they can take you down. So they teach you how to calm the person. How to make sure that they can just relax so that you can rescue them. But that's what, that's what all of us need to hear. Some of us, God's at work and He's stirring and we're flailing and God's just saying, stop resisting. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 18 in your Old Testament. This real life object lesson, parable that God puts Jeremiah right, right in the middle of. Jeremiah 18 verse 1. This illustrates this stop resisting. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down at once to the potter's house. There I will reveal my words to you. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working away at the wheel. Y'all seen that with the potter's wheel and the clay in the middle of it, spinning it around? But the jar that he was making from the clay became flawed in the potter's hand. So he made it into another jar. This is important, as it seemed right for him to do. The word of the Lord came to me, house of Israel, can I not treat you as his potter treats his clay? This is the Lord's declaration. Just like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, house of Israel. 
God is saying to the people of Jeremiah, the people of God, I'm God and you're not. You're nothing but a lump of clay on the potter's wheel and I can shape you any way I want. Now take that to the people of God today. That's us. God God is saying to us, just like clay in the potter's hand, so are you, Coastal Oaks Church, in my hand. So are you, follower of Christ, in my hand. So are you. The clay doesn't say, I'd rather not be that. The clay doesn't raise its hand and say to the potter, hey, I'd like to be a, a coffee cup. I'd like to be a priceless vase. God says, I think you're going to be a dog bowl. So just sit tight. Whatever the potter has in mind, that's what he does with the clay. Who are we to say, God, we have this plan for our life, and would you make it happen? We pray so often, God, give us, give us good help. God, keep us safe. God, protect us. And those are all good prayers. But if that is the focus of our prayer life, what are we going to do when things get shaked and rattled and rolled? What are we going to do if we're, if we're always praying, God, keep me safe, keep me safe, keep me safe, and, and it doesn't happen. And they say, okay, God, where did you go? And he says, I'm right here all along. Your focus is off. Stop resisting me. Number two, letter B, start surrendering. You got to stop fighting it. You got to surrender. Now I'm talking about surrendering to the plans and the purposes of the almighty God, creator of the heavens and the earth, who ought to be able to figure it out what's best for you and for me. Start surrendering. God accomplishes more in my life through me when I'm surrendered to Him. Mary and Joseph surrendered. God, we had a plan, but we're giving up. And we're putting ourselves in Your hands. God works through us. I love the story Bill Hull shares in Jesus Christ, the disciple maker. He tells about a brave uh, soldier in the Greek army. And the Greek general Antigonus saw this young soldier and admired him for his bravery. He was always on the front line. He was always fighting fearlessly. But he got word that this soldier had had a severe illness. And he was in extreme pain every day. And so this general thought, I will, because of the bravery of this young soldier, I'm going to get my own personal physician, my physician, to help him out. And they, they got a physician to this soldier, and they, they worked with him, and they helped him out, and they pretty much cured him of whatever his ailment was. And then Antagonist noticed later that this young brave soldier was no longer fighting on the front lines. He was in the back. And what had happened was this young soldier now had decided, I've got something to live for. I'll just play it safe instead of being brave and out there. I'm not advocating throwing caution to the wind, but I think there's a principle here. When when we're followers of Christ and we take back full control of our lives, our effectiveness is is curtailed. When, when When I say, okay, God, I would rather be in a safe place, I would rather be in my comfort zone and use me here, if you will, God, I'm drawing this circle here. Use me anywhere in there. And it'll be okay. Well, God may use me in there. But what did He have planned for me out there that I miss? Surrender. Thirdly, as Mary and Joseph did, look for the activity of God. 
Now, fortunately for Mary and Joseph, an angel appeared to both of them and gave them scripture, gave them prophecy that, were being, that was being fulfilled, gave them prophetic words that would be fulfilled. So God spoke to them that way. That's how they saw the activity of God. For us, it's a little bit different. God may choose to work that way, but I found, as Henry Blackaby says, God speaks to us by His Holy Spirit through prayer, through Bible study, through circumstances, and through other believers to show me His plans and purposes and His ways. So that's the way I see the activity of God. I look for my prayer life, my Bible study, my circumstances, and, and what others are doing and saying in my life to see where God is working. And they looked for His activity and they responded in obedience. Sometimes we just have to slow down from our activity to see what God's up to. That's been our, our, um, or my uh, challenge this Christmas is to just to look for the activity of God in Christmas. We get so wrapped up in everything that's going on and we, we have our agendas and our, our meetings and our, uh, our parties that we go to and, and pretty soon it all gets to be about that. God just wants us to slow down and look for the, what we say, the baby that changes everything, right? Chuck Swindoll tells a story that I love in his book, Stress Fractures. He says there was a time in his life as a pastor where he was caught in the undertow of too many commitments and too few days. Can you relate to that? Just overwhelmed. He said he went back, went, went home at night and he was snapping at his wife and snapping at the kids and, and just, it was rush, rush, rush. They would, they would wolf down their meals and then they'd go to doing what they're doing. And, and he, said, he said, my life at home started to reflect the hurry up pattern of my life at work. He had a daughter who came to him one day, kind of in a break, and, and she said, Daddy, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you really quick, really fast. And so she, he said, what do you mean by telling me something really fast? And she said, I know you're busy. Things are crazy like this, but I want to tell you something really fast. And he said, you, can, you don't have to tell me really fast. She said, okay, then you better listen really slowly. Maybe this Christmas, the word we need to hear is, I need to stop and listen to the Lord more slowly. Not let activity overwhelm. One of the things we're going to do this Christmas Eve is, is we're not going to have our traditional Christmas Eve candlelight service. We're going to ask you to take a, a prepared uh, reading guide to use in your own home with your small group, with your neighbors, with your friends, and read through the Christmas story. It's all the scriptures and all the hymns that we usually sing here. We're calling it the Nativity. You'll be able to pick one up next Sunday. Or you can sit down with your family, either Christmas Eve or another time whenever you are around the tree, or you can gather your neighbors or maybe some friends or maybe your grace group, maybe your connection class and get together and have a, have a small intimate gathering where you read the Christmas story so you can be reminded once again to look for Christ in the middle of this Christmas. Look for his activity. See what he's doing in that. And then lastly, stop resisting, start surrendering, look for his activity, accept God's interruptions. Just accept them. You're not going to fight them. You're going to accept that God wants to do something in you and through you this Christmas. Nancy Reagan writes a, about a story of, of uh, Ronald Reagan, her husband. When he was a teenager in Dixon, Illinois, he was a lifeguard. It was a summer job. It was on a, a treacherous river there where he grew up. And, and she tells a story that, that Ronald Reagan was the lifeguard and he was watching the kids out there and he noticed one of the real popular girls in school was over there waving at him. So he thought, man, she's noticed me. That's good. Every teenage boy wants to be noticed by the popular girl. So he waves back at her like that. 
After a few minutes, he realized she really wasn't waving at him. She was drowning, and she was crying for help. And he finally realized it. I think sometimes God interrupts and rattles our world, and we just wave at him. And he's, he's, he's saying to us, I have something important to do in your life. And we miss it because we're just thinking about us and we just wave him off. Let's don't wave him off. Not this Christmas or any other time. When he interrupts our lives, let's respond like Mary and Joseph and trust him. Pray together.